0: Well, hello and welcome back to the podcast for another episode of Industry Insider. And today I'm catching up with a representative of the Ping brand here in Australia. Yes, it's Colin Field. Now you may not know Colin Field's name, but he has been part of the Ping family for a long time. He has worked all around the world with Ping. In Asia, in Australia, and he's represented Ping on product development boards for a number of years. He has worked very close to the top of the Ping product tree, and there's not much about the Ping family and Ping brand that Colin hasn't experienced. So it was great to sit down with him and pick his brains about a whole range of general topics surrounding Ping, some of the new products, some of his experiences. And I hope you enjoy my catch up with Colin Field, works here in Australia, represents the Ping brand on product fitting sales representation based in Queensland looking after New South Wales and Queensland and is one of the great guys of the industry in Australia a wealth of experience and a wealth of knowledge and it was great to catch up with him enjoy my chat with Pings Colin Field thanks very much for listening Colin Field from Ping, welcome to welcome to what's going to be a video and a podcast. So if you listen to this on the podcast, uh, you get the pleasure of listening to Colin Field, who's one of the most experienced Ping experts that I know, that I have the pleasure of being able to deal with. Uh, and if you do want to watch the video, you can check it out at the YouTube channel, watch it over there. You'll see Colin and I having a chat. Colin, welcome to uh, welcome to the discussion. Uh, how are you? Good morning up there in Queensland. I'm in Melbourne. You're in Queensland. Are you well?
1: I've managed to put a vest on this morning, so it's just
0: starting to get cool <laughs> in Queensland, as much as we get up here. Uh dear. Uh, I have that um, with one of my other podcast guests, regulars. Uh, you know, He's always sitting there in a T-shirt, so we're always kicking out to him about that sort of stuff. Put a
1: little colored shirt on for you uh, this
0: morning. Th- yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for getting dressed up. Uh, of course, naturally, it's a ping. Uh, one of the Ping uh, apparel brand uh, products here, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only do Ping, you know, just as a side issue, not only do Ping do fabulous products, golf products, golf equipment, they do a wonderful range of uh, apparel as well. Colin, as I said there before, you are one of the most experienced PING guys or definitely the most experienced PING uh, guys that we get the privilege of working alongside, working with and, and getting access to to you on, on occasion um, for your level of experience uh, and depth with the brand. Just give us a little bit of an insight into you know, your history with the Ping brand and and some of those experiences in in a working environment, what you've had during that journey, because it's extensive, um, you know, you've just got to run through them and and tell us because we could talk about that just alone for an hour or so. But give us a bit of the backstory of Colin Field and why you are so experienced with uh, Ping. Um, So
1: originally I played Ping on tour for quite a few years. And I realised, like everyone, that you come to the realisation that you, <laughs> it's hard to make a living out there. Good fun while you can do it, but uh, it's hard to make a living. Uh, I ended up going to Asia, working in the development of golf courses, so management, design, um, uh, building golf courses, turning them in, changing around their operations and setting them up and then moving on to a new project. Um, and then part of that process, I went to a fit, fitting, fitting training day. And I was the guy I sat at the front, asked for the questions. And um, so basically, I became the first fitting account in, s- in Southeast Asia. Um, and I continued to, to do that. And after a few years, they just rang me up one day and said, would you like to come work for us? I said, what do you want you to do? Um, you know, We want you to provide training and education, travel around to the different countries and build a fitting program, provide product knowledge uh, and just basically build the brand in Asia. So I jumped on a plane, flew over to Phoenix, um, had a couple of interviews and as we were mentioning earlier, a couple of days later, I'm going to lunch with John Solheim, which was a really weird experience. So. <laughs>
0: At, so i could imagine at that time yeah being a weird experience you know they say never meet your, your heroes you know i'd love to meet all my heroes um you know you're sitting there having lunch with john solheim it must have been very surreal you know how did uh how, what's john solheim you know john is the son of carsten yeah yeah so carsten solheim obviously started ping um you know what was that like
1: well, intimidating at first, right so but you know he's such a nice guy, and Ping is a very different company. it's very family orientated. people walk around, um, there's a lot of different buildings on the on the campus, and people will ride bikes from one campus to the other. so it's a very informal environment, really. Um, but yeah, sitting down with John and we went to a little you know Mexican Chinese restaurant called Chino Bandinos, and, um, and he said, "Oh, you know the last person I've been here for ages. This is yeah, fantastic, you know, it's a real local sort of place. You know, the last person I brought here was Phil Mickelson. That was a long time ago. You know, so you sit there and you think, wow, you know, what am I doing here? <laughs> um, so for a young kid from Australia to be entrusted into that environment. But um, beyond that, John used to travel out to Asia, you know, two weeks a year probably. And I got to travel with him during that period and got to know him really, really well. So I built a lot of trust and lots of funny things and um, fun, fantastic experiences. And, and he's a quiet guy. But he, when he speaks, even in a meeting environment, a corporate environment, he, you know, everything he says is quite profound. So he'll sit there and listen through an entire meeting and make one sentence ever and go, wow, that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's that type of guy. But um, no, I've had some really, really cool experiences with John and he's such a nice guy. Um, I remember World Cup soccer, well, it was a Friday afternoon, we are at the, the VIP range at Ping and um, with an English guy who was also out at the same time. John comes wandering past, and he goes, oh, where are you guys watching the World Cup tomorrow? Um, and we had actually made plans to go to a pub with a whole bunch of guys. And John goes, oh, I'd love you to come to my place. So we cancelled the pub, pub plans, and we end up going to John Solon's house, sitting in his lounge, watching the World Cup soccer. <laughs> and, um, and, again, that's just a surreal experience. And then you see his house, which was, yeah, still is relatively humble, I would think, for, for his stature. But then you go out into the backyard, and the pool is the shape of an I2 iron. So the lanes are the grooves, right, and yeah. then the actual shape of it is actually the wedge. So if you go into Google Maps, you can actually log in and find that. But it's, uh, yeah, so very cool experiences, you know, amazing company, uh, very personal and um, very fortunate to have that relationship with, um, with John and the rest of the family.
0: So back, back in Asia, back at work, so worked on the education, building the brand, uh, training and, and bringing, you know, PING knowledge up around the region but then got to work on tour over there servicing the Ping the, Tour staff over there in, in the Asian Tour and, and the other tours around that region, yeah?
1: Yeah, so being a regional person, you end up doing lots of different things. So, you know, the first goal was to you know, start doing fitting training, and getting people, you know, used to the fitting environment and look at tools, you know, changing the specifications of things to be more Asian specific. Um, so, all those types of things. Um, so, working on Asian development products. So, we end up working with Fujikora. Um, Um, and working on asian specific shafts uh we got sent to japan at one stage and said you know what do we need to in japan you guys you guys go work on some ideas come back and present to the board so we come back and presented to the board and that was the start of the rapture iron so which is a very very successful iron it was a titanium based iron so that basically we went over found out what we wanted went back and presented to them and said hey this is what we want. Now, the engineers design, develop it. We don't have the skills to do that. But we'd say this is basically what we need to satisfy the demands for this market. Um, and that ended up being a very, very successful line. The Redwood Putter, uh, in flight, which we needed. Asia was a very indoor environment, so we needed uh, something to enhance the indoor experience. And in flight was a fantastic tool that took a lot of data, a lot of numbers, and turned it into a graphical format, so it was much easier to understand a fitting environment. Um Later, that led into tour, which is kind of fun. So we um, started a you know one player in each country, logical thing to do. Build up, start at that point, and then obviously service the tours when European tour comes over to Asia, and then we started on a Korean specific program and um, Japan and so forth, and we built that up over a period of time to you know a fairly decent sort of program and had representation from each of the countries in Asia. Um, Korea is obviously larger, and Japan is very very successful today.
0: Now, you know, roll forward to today, you know, you're sitting up there in Queensland, so your roles changed again. You know, change. what, how long have you been in Queensland now and working for PING here in Australia?
1: Back about 10 years now. 10
0: years, yeah. And looking after, what markets do you look after for PING as a, as a fitting and educator and sales yeah,
1: rep? A little bit, you know, you, in Australia is a smaller market, so you end up doing a diverse range of things. So I live on the Gold Coast, so I look after a few accounts um, from the you know, Gulf Coast down to sort of Harbour and then um, do the national product manager, the fitting manager and tour. So you sort of overlap into a lot of different things. So um, you can put on a different hat of each day of the week depending on what's going on and depending on the product cycle too, we'll step away when new product comes and start to train internally and externally. Um, Travelling to, you know, Phoenix to get the information from the engineers, sit down with them, really understand the product. Um, and then you know, come back and transfer that information to the staff and then onto the accounts and to the uh, end user.
0: I want to spend a good chunk of the time obviously while we're here is to talk about some of the new products that have hit the market uh, since what September last year or, or thereabouts but just finishing off on the tour in Australia and we sort of touched on it beforehand Yeah, in the program that you've got in Australia for identifying talent and, and helping you know some of Australia's young talent you know, come into the ping brand and and I think and correct me if I'm wrong you know if you look at the ping staff, on the main tours, you know, they are a a full bag sort of player. Um, And I think that's what you try and do with these players that that you've identified and tried to grow a relationship with. But let us know who some of those young talent that you've had the opportunity to work alongside with in growing their profile with the Ping brand here in Australia.
1: Yeah, so when I came back, you know, we went down to the Australian Amateur just to, you know, do a survey basically and we identified that wasn't that many of the younger people using our gear um so we we came back and had a meeting and decided to build a program so with the support of the us we sat down and said well let's work on 12 elite amateurs in australia and let's provide them the same tour level support as a tour player would get um we looked at different age groups making sure we had you know a cross-section of men and women players um or young girls and young boys um and just basically gave the same level of support we would for an Asian tour player or a U.S. tour player and just making sure that we work with them until the equipment sounds. So we started with players like Harrison Endicott, who now plays on Corn Ferry. Um, Brett Coletta was playing on Corn Ferry. Uh, He's had a few struggles, but I'm sure he's a fantastic player and he'll be back. Travis Smith, who just wanders around the world with his man bun. So he's cruising around. He's currently playing in Asia Um, at the moment. I think he's in Phuket on the beach probably at this point in time. But he's uh, like a cat just continues to fall on his feet. So he's doing well up there. Um, I've got Carice Davidson. So she's just got her LPGA card after a couple of years in Japan, which is great. So, uh, and then some other young pros like Shea Woods, Coleman, and so forth who um, we've been working with for an extended period of time. And now we look to that next group. You know, Cassie Porter's just turned pro. Uh, she's done extremely well with the, um, in the events she has turned and played in so far. Um, she's a fantastic young girl. She communicates really well. Uh, handles herself well and she's very professional about what she does so she's an old old head on young shoulders Um, and then moving down through the amateurs we've got uh, a few good young amateurs like Justice Paseo who just finished second in the Oz Am and did well in the Bonville event last week Um, we've got a young guy called Billy Dowling who did well in the Australian amateur he's a very young kid but you know he's pretty special as well so we're working with a few others as well so a really solid program different age groups men and women um and we just work with them providing them a high level support so our strategy is to build those relationships when they're younger and then we, we build that relationship and that's historically what ping has done with um you know lee westwood and you know bubba watson and those types of players they've got very strong relationships that go back you know well before college years and as a result we have a very high retention rate with those players
0: now yeah. In your experience and sitting alongside the John Solheim's and and all of the marketing people and the product development people, you know what what's the internal chat around um, women's golf? Because I went to the Solheim Cup in at Glen Eagles in two thousand and nineteen, and I haven't been to many big tournaments. I've been to the Open in two thousand and sixteen, which was great. Uh, the Solheim Cup, obviously the events here in Australia, the Solheim Cup blew me away, uh, and obviously Ping have this very strong focus on developing the women's game and, and being involved in that what what is what is the strategy or what is the discussion around it why why is that when did that become you know such a driven uh, factor for them and 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 what was some of the backstory on that
1: i think because it was the Ryder cup and there was nothing for women carsten wanted to start an event so Carson Solheim, the founder of the company you know, i think that was where it started so and that's the solheim cut the solheim family so that's the origins of that, um, So and that's just turned into a, a monster, right? And it's a fantastic um, event. You know, you look at it on TV, it's a fantastic, spectacular uh, event. Um, I know when we go to Asia and Korea and they go, why can't we make it Asia versus Europe versus, you know, but they're going to retain the way it is at the moment. So, um, but, yeah, you know, it's a fantastic event. Um, and, yeah, they focus a lot of time and energy. You look at the LPGA, we're very strong in the LPGA. There's a very high equipment usage. So we provide a high level of support that some of the other brands may not provide. Um, and, you know, it's just, a, that's the nature of the company. You know? It's a very humble little company in Phoenix.
0: Do they have a college program for, for the women uh, college golfers?
1: Is there yeah, a, yeah. It's, it's pretty well balanced. So if you look at, there's a guy called Scott Sullivan, he looks after the um, college program in the US and um, yeah, and most of those players, if you go to the college programs and you go to Arizona State University or something like that, which is an amazing facility, um, we have a you know high use of, you know, equipment usage, um, for ping in, in, in
0: those arenas. Now we'll transition into talking about some of these great products that have come out, but just, you know, with every great product that comes out, you know, it just doesn't happen. You know, there's an ideation phase, there's a design phase and testing and all of that. And, you know, I know from my experience in, in Mercedes-Benz in the car industry, you know, how long that sort of life cycle is. And I can only imagine that it's extensive, uh, for golf. Um, yeah, you know, what you said, you've been involved in some product development. You know what? What does that time frame look like? You know, like we've we've got i fifty nine now, we've got uh, you know i five to five and all that sort of thing. What sort of time frame does does that look like for for ping?
1: I think you have got to look at it from two different perspectives. One is technology. So if you look at some of the technologies that we have today, a lot of that research and development would have been done, you know, six or seven years ago. Um, and I'll give you an example of that, would be the driver, right? So we have a rough surface on the driver, and there's a, a, a friction coefficient which changes or controls the rate of spin, So and that changes relative to the angle uh, there, so you can get that a certain amount of friction at a certain angle, it creates a certain amount of spin. You change the angle, it changes that. So with the driver, we have a, a particular friction on the face that reduces spin without lowering the centre of gravity and reducing the forgiveness of the driver, which is part of the reason why the driver is so stable. Now, that research was done a long time ago by a guy called Dr. Hen- Henrikson, who's actually come out to Australia. Um, so he also designed the turbulators. So, um, so pretty smart guys and they develop and research technologies, right? And then that provides a tool for the engineers to incorporate into the design. Now, some of those things are not feasible at that point in time and then they continue to work on it where it becomes feasible, where you can actually make a driver iron at a particular price point. Um, so there's a Then once the engineers get the brief and they've got new technologies to work with, they'll incorporate that into the design. Um, But they'll be, you know, four years ahead. And and then the others are just working on technologies and ideas and so forth. So we have a very large analysis and testing department. So they do a lot of research, but it won't be on a specific club. It will be on a particular attribute that contributes to performance in a particular way. Um, So that's quite interesting to see some of the research. Um, There's a guy called Dr. Paul Wood. And Dr. Eric Hendrickson, they work in, in that field, and actually an Australian guy, Dr. John O. Shepard. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so Dr. John O. He's, um, um, you wouldn't pick him for a doctor. He's got the shirt out, you know, he's got the collar over here. And, um, but yeah, smart guy. and They're all working in research. And, um, but there's a lot of time and energy in what's called the analysis and testing department, as opposed to just purely, hey, we need to design a new golf club you know, when the engineers are given a brief, they've already got all these tools over here that they can incorporate into a design and this research that supports um, improvements in the performance of the next generation of product.
0: Yeah, I can imagine it would be fascinating to get a little insight into that. And I think you can, not I think, I know you can tell that if you understand Ping and you play Ping and you follow that journey, um, you know, because the history of the company is very, very extensive, you, know, you can see how they are very much at that engineering driven by that precision excuse my uh, driven by that precision um, yeah
1: very much yeah, it's a, an engineering company first yep. I think it's frustrating for sometimes for the people in time the company because it is engineering driven um all the conversations are engineering driven and there's not a lot of marketing going on we do a great job of marketing we've improved a lot that um the focus is on performance first and and that's where all the time and energy and all the meetings I've sat in with that are a corporate level is very very focused on the engineering and you know john solohan won't sign off on a new product unless he can see the testing that you know it's three percent better there it's four percent better there and all that testing supports that that new product is good enough and in outperforms the previous version before they bring that to market
0: uh, i've got one two three four five putters uh, beside me there's some history uh, in those five putters there we'll talk about that later uh, and that's not all of the putters that i've got in the ping family i've pretty much replicated any of the ping putters that I touched as a junior. Uh, And when I say touched, you know, my first coach had uh, the ping cushion. And I remember being as a 13-year-old fascinated, A, with his putting stroke, and B, with his putter. It would look different to what I had. Uh, So I remembered that. I went and made it my purpose to find one. Uh, My first ever ping putter was an answer. I bought it in 87 in Palm Springs uh, when I was over there playing golf. Uh, I had one of those for many years. Unfortunately, it got stolen, but I've replaced that. And all of the other putters that I was fascinated with, uh, I putted with a um, clone. Even even back in the 80s, there was they were cloning putters. One of the first putters that they cloned was the B60. So I've got a B60. We'll talk about some history uh, in these putters because I think it's largely, especially with so many new golfers coming to the market, and, and we're blessed to have so many people coming to the game at this time. Uh, I see that on a weekly, daily basis with people that don't have a, an understanding uh, yet uh, or, or, or that developed level of appreciation for the history in the game. Um, but they just want to play golf, so that's the main the main objective. But yeah. the, the the answer putter, and I talked about it in this little video I just recently did for the Drum and Golf YouTube channel um, on PLD, the answer putter basically created the shape that we that we all know now, and so many people have replicated. We, we might talk a bit a little bit about that then. But right now, let's talk about some of the new iron product, some of the the other new the wedge product that's come out. You know, what's the the current product phase look like? You know, where do we start? I-59?
1: Yeah, firstly, we're just happy to have product at the moment. So um, I think we're getting in a better position there and we're actually seeing stuff come in, which is great. So um, at the moment, we've just launched PLD putters. So nice segue there into PLD putters. And that's something that I think I first heard about, you know, maybe eight to 10 years ago where they started to mill putters. Um, But the objective there was to listen to players, mill the putters, Give them exactly what they want. Find out what is most popular, and actually create a model or a series that eventually can become commercial. Um, so we're still doing that. We've only really just launched that, um, and it's been really, really well received. So we're well over subscribed for the quantity of stock that we have at the moment and worldwide. So, um, but yeah, they started building. You know. Anything they want, play you know. They wanted a patina finish, which is a rusty finish, and they wanted this hosel or that neck or that line or a dot on there or a particular weight. They would make actually a some here. we would make a putter yeah So there's a patina version of a of a tine. So it's a face balance version. So there's some of the things we work with. So as a result, we've got different finishes and so forth. So. That then they can take a 1,000 different permutations and different grooves and find out which is the most popular and narrow that down to a more realistic range uh, that we can then launch to the market, which is what we've just done with the PLD. So PLD is Puddle Lab Designs, where we do all the research and development. Um, So there's a guy called Tony Serrano who's been an an engineer with Ping for a long time. He's headed up that program, um, and he's done a fantastic job with the tool guys first, uh, satisfy their needs and wants. And now we're launching that out with four models, and hopefully that, that series will expand out. But they're just beautifully milled putters, um, forged 303 block that it's then three or four axis um, milled, depending on the shape and the design of the putter. Uh, different grooves, so we've got a deep AMP, which is aggressive milling pattern groove across there, which was the preferred. So when you players look at five or six different groove structures that have different sounds and feedback off the face, AMP, the deep AMP was the preferred across the board so in the middle of the bell curve you get other people like a flat face or a or a slower impact off the face but uh, a deep amp so they incorporate all those factors into the pld design and here we are we've launched it and it's off and running so, so it's pretty exciting
0: four hours of of machine milling pretty much thereabouts to to produce one item is that true
1: yeah depending on the design so they're all you know there's different machines with three or four axis and so forth so different designs, and then um, so they take a you know, long time to make those putters. So um, so they are at the premium end of the market, but um, we've got other great putters as well. But, you know, putters is an interesting one. So pe- I think people over time are getting used to they spend a lot on a driver and they want a cheap putter. But I think over time you'll see people are looking to, you know, get a really good quality putter fitting, right, get a, a putter that fits really suits them, and they're happy to spend, you know, money on a nice premium putter that looks nice and there's a nice head cover and all the cool stuff that comes
0: along with it. So. Well, of course, you know, ping uh, fitting is an absolutely essential part of, you know, the whole ping story. Uh, and, you know, you do a great job with uh, the putters where you call out on, on the shafts, um, you know, who they, who they suit or what stroke type they suit. And it really does give you, you know, always certainly at any of the drummer stores, here, you can get help identifying length, identifying line, angle, identifying stroke type and, and fitting for, for that um, loft as well. Um, so we can go through that. We do that on a daily basis. But, you know, Ping do a great job of identi- helping us identify on the little stick on the shaft there what, what sort of stroke archetype um, this putter is uh, ideally suited for.
1: Yeah, so with putter fitting, you can say the best players in the world, they don't all have perfect technique. You'll get players that aim left and block it in. Tiger aims right and pulls it in. Um, so everyone has different thing. But the best putters in the world do things consistently. Hmm. So that's the key. So whatever they do, they do, you know, the same over and over again. And the, the standard deviation or the variation in their arc, the speed, the tempo, um, the angle attack, all that sort of stuff is very, very consistent. So they've got a very predictable result. Um, so what's the putter fitting is with the, the stroke type. You know, if you've got a putter that matches your stroke type, you're a straight back, straight through type of person, generally you'll putt better with a base balance putter. Um, so that means you get less variation in that particular stroke. Somebody who tends to like to arc their stroke a little bit, those people will be more consistency with a more of a toe-down style putter. So if we can get a putter that sort of suits the player and matches their stroke, you get less variation in in the actual physical result. So if you get smaller standard deviation in the speed, the tempo, the rotation of the club face, you're generally going to get a more consistent, more predictable result.
0: Yeah, we talked, touched on new golfers coming to the to the world of golf um, yeah, for most golfers that haven't had a whole load of experience on the course, you know, is there a, a go-to if they were listening to this and they, and they didn't get a putter fitting but they just wanted to go in and buy a putter, um, is there just like a go-to type of putter that they should sort of gravitate towards?
1: I think, you know, you can get different levels of fitting. So if we can just get a good length, Yep. where we have got re- relatively good alignment. Um, so we don't want, you know, what's called parallax error, where, you know, if you're trying to shoot a gun and we're over here and my head's over there, we can't see very well. So we generally want to be over the golf ball. We want the putter to sit generally flat to the to the um, ground. We want to have, a, you know, if someone's got a relatively straight back, straight through straight maybe something that's more balance, face balanced, something a little bit more archy, we may want something that's more like a traditional answer putter. So I think you can get into the general realm and get that fairly solid, um, it's a bit like our color code chart. You know, our color code chart for, for irons pr- provides a high statistical probability. So if someone's new to the game, but we know how fast they swing it, and we know that they're six foot two and their wrist to floor is 35, we can get a club that's statistically very, very close uh, for that person. And they're going to develop better technique around a club that's statistically correct for them than just getting a standard golf club and trying to adapt or develop poor technique around a club that doesn't suit them. So part is the same. You can get, just by taking those simple attributes, get a good length, lie, and model type, and you can get something that you're probably going to develop better technique with over a longer period of time, and that translates to irons and, and other clubs as well.
0: Well, the Ping PLD putters are fantastic. I spent uh, a couple of days down at Barnburger with the uh, Prime Tine and the uh, uh, Answer 2, um, beautiful, beautiful putting implements. Uh, highly recommend having uh, those. What are some of the other putters in the family? Think uh, 2021,
1: so that provides a different um, feel or feedback off the face. Um, so when you survey thousands of people, everyone gives you different feedback on what sort of feel, sound, and so forth people are looking for. Generally, the lower the marker, they like the more tactile feedback, so they want something that's uh, more like a you know the face like the PLD. As you move into higher handicaps, they're looking for generally a little bit more forgiveness in the feel. All right, so then they want more of an insert putter. Um, and that's not everyone, but if you look over the percentages, you see a higher percentage of people with higher handicaps want that softer, more forgiving feel. So the PEN 2021 does a great job with that. Uh, and in that model, you've got lots of different stroke types and, and so forth. So you've got something there for each and every person. Some everything from some very high MOI alignment style putters to, you know, something smaller, more traditional, if you like.
0: All right, so let's talk about this exciting new iron product. Um, you know, I'll take your lead. You talk about whichever one that you want to talk about first.
1: Uh, well, the newest one's obviously the I five two five. So it's so far we've only been out there fitting probably a couple of months. Um, really great club to fit. So I'm really excited about what that does. Um, the the two ten for us was a very popular product. So if you look at tour usage and you look at you know the lower handicaps and so forth. The, the shape, the sole width, all those things from the 210 was very, very popular. At the same time, we introduced a, an iron called the i500, and that was a faster face iron for us. And really, the i525 was taking that faster face technology looking at how we can improve that, incorporate into an i210 you know, head size width, um, length from heel to toe and so forth. So when you pop it down, it pretty much looks like a, a, a 210. It's got that little bit wider sole, more getting through the turf. And then the, um, the face. So with the face, you've got a forged miraging steel face. And that creates a thinner, a, it's a stronger material. Therefore, you can make it thinner and create deflection in the face to generate faster ball speed. And now the challenge with that is to get a more pleasing sound for the, the, the average golfer. So people want to look at that head size. They want the faster pace. They want the distance. They want the consistency and pick up that extra five to seven yards. But there's two challenges. One is the sound you you got a hollow construction iron, uh, so they got to work on that. And two is creating a very consistent result. So I think the golf industry has been through a process where it's been launch monitor driven. It's how far do I hit my seven iron? You know, I think what we need to do is backtrack a little bit now and say it's not how far my seven iron goes. It's how well does my seven iron perform? Mm. And, and that that includes you know how consistent is the ball speed? How consistent is the spin rate? And how consistent are we achieving peak? good peak heights, good landing angles and stopping power. So in some respects, we may actually need to go into a fitting today and actually come out with a more consistent result that it's four yards shorter than their older iron, all right? That's realistically what we need to do as an industry to get better performance. And the 525 five really does that. Um, so 210, the hollow construction, we've got the fast Mirage and steel face. The next challenge for the engineers was to, to refine the sound and feel. So you can have an iron that performs fantastic it doesn't provide that feedback off the face. Uh, so the engineers put an EVA or a polymer on the back of the face and that's to, to help attenuate or reduce or control the sound. Um, they've got some fantastic tools that actually actually can measure frequency, right, the sound uh, inside a golf club, and then they can look at different ways to change in that frequency and then identify positive frequencies and negative frequencies, meaning that things people like and what people don't like So in the i525, if you look at the frequency, it's initially very similar to a 500, but it dissipates very quickly, and that provides a very different impact experience. So they're actually got engineers sitting there listening like you are now with headphones, right, listening and looking at the frequencies and actually targeting specific frequencies to provide a more pleasurable impact experience. So so the i525 is a result of what we were speaking about earlier where a lot of research into sound, right, has then come back and incorporated into this iron. Um, So we've got better pleasing sound. Um, We're maintaining good peak height, so the center of gravity is a little bit further back. So we're getting that nice height, peak height, slightly lower spin, more deflection in the face, more ball speed, and fine-tuning the sound. So, um, so far, it's been an absolute pleasure to fit.
0: I I played it over 71 holes at, once again, Barnboogle the other week, and it really, really impressed me, You know the sound. Um, I'll do a little bit of a plug here for the Drum and Golf YouTube channel. Um, you can see my short introduction video and it very much is a, a, an introduction to you know the, the product highlights but I, I wove in there a couple of uh, shots that I played which is, which is you know we're trying to build these videos and build the profile over there at Dumbergolf YouTube um, you can hear you can hear a couple of well-struck shot a uh, well-struck irons there and the sound is phenomenal through the camera it uh, really is well compressed but it's just a beautiful sound and that's basically uh, what you articulate is how I experienced it Um, you know I've played i210 in the past Uh, I love that shape you know I love the forgiveness in the longer irons but then it gets right down into that real shot making shape in the in the scoring clubs you know I love that concept Um, you know because at my level where I play you know sort of like three four five six handicap you know somewhere in between there um you know you, you still need that forgiveness and and I, I think a lot of elite players still want need I, th- I see that as a trend you know people looking for a for support and forgiveness at that top end of the bag but they still need that scoring uh, opportunity um club down there and and the i525 does it uh, wonderfully um, you know the the one of the things that i was struck by was that spin control you know let's talk about micromax grooves because i think that gets maybe pushed pushed aside but you know people um need to know that you know the spin control with micromat screws and a hollow construction iron which you know generically speaking you know can sometimes be a little bit prone to getting those inconsistent flies and that sort of thing you know what does micromat screw do to eliminate that
1: it's a combination of all those things like the face you can make a face that's fast and really hit it miles you know you can put the center of gravity in a particular location and make it go miles but if we're trying to get the ball speed we're trying to get good peak height and we're trying to get that good stopping power and consistent results. So that, that's what performance is at the end of the day. It's not how far you hit a 7-iron, hmm. right? How, it's proximity to the flag, right? So that's really what you need to focus on. So the micromax screws have been great. So basically the result of all the testing is that the greater spin retention in the longer irons, all right? So we get a more controlled spin, right? We don't we don't get the degradation spin as you move to the longer irons, and we're getting more control in the shorter irons, more consistent spin. So and it's the same as hydropearl or we have in the wedges and bits and pieces they're, they're working on how do we minimize the standard deviations how do we get that really consistent a well how, what does a well struck forehand do and what does a poorly struck forehand do how can we get that poorly struck forehand to perform more like the well struck forehand and get that tight dispersion so and tight dispersion's been ball speed the spin rate the launch angle the carry distance the stopping power the peak height and the deviation sideways so all those things contribute to performance and that's what they're working on. So the, you know, the hydropower we have in the wedges and some of the other clubs and we've got the the grooves, all those things are, those research projects that the engineers have been working on to create more consistent results. And then more consistency, uh, long-term in a fitting environment, we get that smaller circle on the launch monitor, right? With the appropriate stopping power and that's what's gonna give people better performance long-term.
0: Yeah. That- degradation spin that you mentioned there you know like people might have experienced if they're playing other clubs you know but you hit one and and spins degraded you know we had a wonderful presentation a couple of years ago at the mcg by a couple of the uh, high-level ping engineers that came out and they gave us this really detailed uh, insight into how you measure a lot of your product development and they talked about spin and the degradation of spin and what causes that and you know particles in between the ball and the face um, is one of the biggest impacts of that but the 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 long line, you know, that, that ball dropping out of the air, you know, I don't think people sort of, they might experience it but they don't really realise what it's doing and that one that doesn't come out with the spin, it looks like it's a great flighted shot and all of a sudden it just drops out of the air because it doesn't have the aerodynamic stability through there. So that's what, you know, you're talking about there, is that correct? You know, that spin being consistent so, you know, that four is going to be penetrating as well as it can within that range of, you know, tighter window.
1: Yeah, so if we have a, a four-iron that spins at 4,000 and one spins at 2,000, that, that 2,000 spin's going to come out like a little flat bullet.
0: Yeah,
1: One, it's not going to carry as far in the air uh, unless you've got a huge amount of you know, club head speed and ball speed. Um, secondly, when it does land on a green, if it gets to the green, it's just going to go rocketing straight through the back. Yeah. Uh, so we need to get that. And that sort of correlates to, into optimising somebody's set too. So we want to do that through the performance of the golf clubs, but also we need to... Through a fitting environment, we want to make sure that we optimize the set. So so the grooves help that, you know, Hydropearl helps that. And if we get into the wedges, I'll explain what pearl does. Um, so, but also fitting, yeah, you know, fitting for the right element. Yeah, you know, Are we dropping out, you know, moving hybrids down one, dropping out nine, incorporating one more lofted wood? You know, that's a, another great topic of discussion that, you know, you know, something that we do every day when we're fitting is just optimizing something, somebody's set. But um, I think the set configurations will look very different in a few years.
0: Oh, I definitely uh was seeing that now. Uh, you know, like the proliferation of seven woods, for example. You know, it doesn't take too many uh, tour pros to whack a seven wood in their bag and you know, realise how that aids to their shot making to see a stream of people coming in going, Oh, have you got a seven wood? And you know, of course in, in my world sometimes we get a little bit caught behind the, the trend of what happens in on tour and they see you know a ping player using a seven wood and people come in wanting a seven wood and we don't have one, so we've got to play a bit of catch up. You know, that's just the world and we, we, we get there eventually. But, um, you know, I've seen a lot of people wanting seven woods. Have you, have you guys seen that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we've been, yeah you know, fitting that and we see that in testing. So a seven wood, you've got a longer lever, hmm. all right? You've got a faster face. The centre of gravity is further back in the face. That creates more shaft deflection, which, which creates a higher launch angle. So... As a result, the 7-wood's going to create the highest ball flight, right? The hybrid's going to be probably generally slightly lower than that and the iron will be slightly lower than that again. So as we see somebody hitting shots, quite often we see the the, the wedge 9, eight, 7. We see equal increments in distance between each of those clubs. At some point in time, we see degradation where that gapping starts to taper off and we'll see 10 metres, 10 metres, 10 metres, 9 metres, 8 metres, 4 metres. Yeah. At that point, if that club's well fitted, we need to find another club that regulates that gapping between each club, and then for a lot of people it's seven woods. Um, and then tour has been fantastic because we probably build a seven wood for ninety percent of our players. Now they may or may not use it every week. It depends on the conditions. Mm-hmm. The U.S. style golf course and you know it's really firm. U.S. Open style golf course. Sorry. And, um, they may incorporate that golf course or if there's a lot of long shots in, they'll bring that out. Um, and you see non players. I think Cameron Smith hit uh, seven wood into fifteen at the Masters in the last round. you hit it back right there. So, you know, Dustin Johnson's been playing seven more. So it's uh, an important club, and I think it's just given it credibility, yeah. right? And I think now that it's something that, you know, for every golfer out there, if you haven't analysed your set and then went through a gapping analysis, that's something that you could do and maybe change one or two clubs in your bag and really optimise your performance as opposed to maybe trying everything or testing or changing everything. Maybe there's one or two changes that can tweak your set and get some fantastic results, and make sure you've got fourteen functional clubs in your bag.
0: Um, what club do you see uh, the tour staff dropping out in preference to a seven wood?
1: Uh, it would be generally a longer iron, yeah. um, depending on. They'll change it. You. you might see them keep a two iron, and drop a three iron out, and then bring a seven wood in, yeah, like, or a driving iron style club. You know, if it's a tight course or long rough. Um, so we just don't, you know, they might just play around with bounces and bits and pieces depending on the, the turf conditions and the environment, but uh, it's generally that long end, they might have three or four options that, you know, they only need two and they chop and change around. Um, and that said wood build on tour, generally it's um, it's nine wood length, it's slightly shorter, mm. right, the control, and it's set to an open position. So in our in our hosel configuration, it's the big minus, mm. right, which sort of flattens the line or opens, a bit, opens it a little bit. So it's important not to just test seven woods, but you know, get the right, you know, configurational setup for the stronger player who has a higher closure rate of the club. Um, that flat open position generally neutralizes the ball flight, whereas in a more neutral setting, they may find it a little bit too easy to turn over. And the other thing from a fitting environment is having, you know, stable enough shaft for the real speed for the stronger player yeah. um to to ensure that, you know, we we're not turning it over and we're getting that neutral ball flight. But yeah, it's a phenomenal golf club, but there's one thing I can, you know, encourage your, your listeners to do is, you know, look at your bag and work out what clubs are redundant and, and where, where, what can you do to optimize your set to get a more functional set.
0: Uh, just for you know to um, tell the story about my bag, you know, because a lot of people ask me about oh, what do you play? And yeah, you know, my bags, are, depending on the week, uh, it's a mixed bag of, of a whole lot, a load of different stuff. But um, a lot of people are surprised to know I don't carry a three wood. Mm. Uh, and then they're surprised to know that I carry a five wood, which is a G410, uh, and a two driving iron. And they go, well, why have you got those two? And I said, well, that's about ball flight. And exactly as this, you know, Peninsula Kingswood, firm greens, par fives. You know, I don't want it. I can't take a two iron in there and stop it. I need the carry and the height. Uh, I'm not looking for, you know, maximum distance in that set of the end of the bag. I'm looking for control. But then, you know, sandbelt short par fours. Uh, and, and things like that. You know, I want a controllable T-ball club. That two driving iron just puts it out there nice and low under the wind, goes a requisite distance, and I've got two different flight shapes to give me two different results in ostensibly the same sort of distance uh, club. And once that, once you explain it like that, people go, oh, yeah, okay, and it sort of leans into what you're talking about, what we're talking about. Um, just while we talked about woods, you know, in all of the ping drivers at, uh, and fairway woods um, – product that I've had and it's been many, uh, I gravitate towards the PING TOR shaft. Now, it's a quite a special and unique uh, item from PING. What, what makes the PING TOR shaft so special?
1: Been around for quite some time. It's had a couple of tweaks, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, it's a, just a good solid shaft, you know, so it's um, really, if you look at where the 265 sits at, which is the it's a stronger tip, slightly heavier option. So for that, you know, better players sort of maybe swing 100 miles an hour, so a lot, of, a lot of solid, you know, low markers will swing around that sort of club head speed. It fits fantastic. Um, so it, it's just a nice, stable shaft. We have our own design engineers. So our lead uh, shaft engineer um, is an ex-design uh, you know, engineer for our dealer. So we have our own, develop our own shafts. Uh, we use aftermarket shafts as well, but we spend a lot of time and energy on our own shafts as well um, in both wedge shafts iron shafts with our AWT shaft, um, as well as wood shafts. So we uh, focus, you know, a lot of time and energy just to provide, you know, shafts that really optimise and work well with our heads, right? And uh, the tour shaft is a great option that provides that lower launch, lower spin, um, or less active tip, if you like. Um, so just a great shaft. It's had a couple of little tweaks over the last few years, but it's, it's pretty much the same shaft it has been for a couple of years.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, that shaft, therefore, is made by, Someone else, but made to your exacting specifications.
1: Yes, so we do that. I know, see some stuff online that they talk that is this shaft. It's not. It's designed by our engineers. It's made by you know a company uh, you know to our specifications, um, and the same as our AWT shaft. It's you know it's made by Nippon. Um, so we design the shaft. You know, it's a sending weight shaft with a three irons lighter and the wedge is heavier. All right, which makes you know you think of a driver at sixty five grams, a fairway wood at seventy five grams, hybrid at eighty five grams. All right, it doesn't make sense for the three iron to be the longest, heaviest shaft in your bag and then get to a lighter shaft. So what an ascending weight shaft does, we, we, we follow that progression. So we get a, a hybrid at 85 and then the three iron's the lightest and the wedge is the heaviest. So that creates more speed in the longer iron, uh, more ability to flight the golf ball, and it provides more stability and lower ball flight in the shorter irons.
0: Beautiful. Okay, let's talk about uh, the other new iron Product, uh, it's another Ripper, um, the i59.
1: Yeah, it's it's got a lot of tech in there, um, so it sits at a pretty solid price point. But I think this is one of those clubs where we we bring some new technology in. It starts off with a real player's golf club, and then you know eventually we can see that technology you know permeate like F1, you know, it permeates down into other models in the future. Um, but basically, it's a hollow construction. But then there's an aluminium frame on the inside. I wish I had a little piece here. I don't. Um, there's an aluminium frame structure on the inside. And what that does is instead of getting a face where it has a lot of deflection, which is not so good for a tool player, last thing they do, want is a seven iron suddenly going eight metres further and create an unpredictable distance. But they would like more forgiveness. So what the hollow construction does with the aluminium frame on the inside, it creates discretionary weight for the engineers, so they can reposition that weight and increase the MOI or make the golf club more forgiving. But we're stabilising the face, not creating deflection in the face. As a result, we're getting stable results, and we're getting less twisting and impact. We get that spin retention along lines, all that good stuff that we want to optimise and create consistent performance.
0: A lumicore, yeah. You've got there's a lot, there's a lot of technology, and it's got a lot of names, and it's not jingo. Um, you know, what is a lumicore?
1: It's an aluminium core of the club, basically, right? And then you you look at it. It's um they use what's called finite element analysis, which is computer analysis to looking at yeah, the structure. So they can create something that's just as strong but have a lot of holes in areas, right? So it's basically like the framework to a building. So when we get that, we can get something very strong. So we get no movement in the face or very stable results off the face. But any discretionary weight that we can reposition without losing the structural integrity of the iron, we can then take that weight and reposition elsewhere. And that's pretty much what that does. It's mm-hmm.
0: um, It's. a. It's, I remember the first time hitting that uh, it was back in September, uh, really blew me away with uh, everything you described and how it felt off the face. It was unbelievable. Um, okay, the next new product, uh, Glide 4.0 Wedges.
1: Yeah, so um, really good traction on tour. Uptake's been really, really good for our guys, which is great. Uh, they've gone into bags very quickly. Wedges are very particular thing. You'll get people, um, you know, not trying to change during the course of year and so forth they'll wait, but they've gone into bags fairly quickly. So I think the, the first advantage, and it's something that's been around for a long time, is the hydropel. Right, so hydropel is not new to the globe 4.0 but what it does it basically uh, sheds water away from the face enables the face to contact the ball very similar to a dry condition very rarely do we actually hit in a perfectly dry condition we're hitting off grass we're hitting off water there's moisture in that grass and when that moisture gets between the golf ball and the club face right we get you know, different results, the spin changes, the flight changes, all those things. So if we can create a more consistent result off the face, we get more consistent ball speed, we get more consistent launch angle, more consistent spin rate, therefore the distance is more consistent, right? We know how the ball's going to react when it hits the green. Then you can sort of judge how hard you're going to hit it. So imagine waxing a car. When you pull that water on that car, the water beads. It sort of sits up in little bubbles, and then it's able to get away really, really quickly. So that's what hydropil does. It enables the water to shed away, enables to get a more consistent result. So in testing, and you'll see a lot of the, you know, the online testing um, companies that sort of promote their websites and so forth, uh, you see that we may get 9,500 spin for a particular loft at a particular speed, but when we put water on the face and so forth, the, the spin rate doesn't drop down as much. So it may only come down 500 or 1,000 RPM. Whereas you'll see uh, without hydropearl, you'll see it may start at the same spin rate or even higher spin rate, but when you get moisture in in the face or on the face between the golf ball and the club face, you'll see major drop-offs in spin, right? So that's the advantage of what hydropil does, and we're trying to incorporate that wherever we can into all our irons. So it's it's a fantastic tool and probably a competitive advantage for us as a brand. Uh, The next thing was to the players were looking for a smaller, more compact head. Right, so so it's tied into the 59s and, and the blueprints and so forth. So we've got the Glidefall Forge Pro, which is a really small, compact head. A real, you know, uh, elite players head is looking for something really small, but we wanted a slightly smaller head. But this year, instead of making everything smaller, the I2 sole and the WS sole, which is more geared towards the higher handicap, handicappers, it still retains the larger, more forgiving head size. But the S and the T grind are actually a smaller, more compact head, and that creates a, a probably a more appealing look at address and ties into those smaller head profiles like the i525 and so forth and so first couple of things yeah. feels important in yeah. wedge so um the elastomer is a material that's in the back of the face it's got larger surface area that's in contact with the back of the face as a result we um, in it, it provides enhanced you know impact experience uh that also saves some weight enables engineers to redistribute it and maintain inertia so even though it's a smaller head we're able to retain inertia or forgiveness um if you like um combine that with the grooves and everything else that's going on, you've just got a nice small, compacted golf club that's very, very consistent and does really, really well in um in, in testing.
0: Once again, tried that down at Bumboogle. Uh really, really really great. Um happy with that. Um And also had the tall wedge down there as well, which um I'd never I'd never really used or seen before, um, funnily enough. And uh it was it was great. It was off that tight lie off the tight tight fescue. Um with the sole grind in, in the tall model, uh, it was um, the tall forged. Uh, it was fantastic. Yeah, it really just, just picked the ball off there very, very cleanly. Um, we haven't talked about, what well, we talked about seven woods, but what about driver? You know, it's probably the hero flagship of, you know, setting the, the course for uh, a lot of the Ping products. You know, it's, you mentioned before how stable it is. You know, it just seems to be the fact that, you know, a, g four two five hits the ball ridiculously straight, and that's not me saying that that's a number of independent people that have used it and tested it and played with it and 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 taken that for one hit or two years you know or two hits um or twenty hits you know they all come back and say how ridiculously straight it is so how do how do ping really work towards doing that
1: so being an engineering company they're always focused focused on inertia and I go to and have been attend a lot of meetings where And it's sort of moment of inertia, moment of inertia. And it sounds a bit boring, but it works at the end of the day. And, you know, Carson, at the end of the day, was an aerospace engineer. And he knew when he started building golf clubs that if he could reduce the amount of twisting in a golf club, it's more stable, Hmm. right? Therefore, it doesn't twist as much. It's more accurate. We don't reduce ball speed as the club twists, we retain spin and all that good stuff. So if you think of an aeroplane, we've got fuel load in aeroplane, so all that fuel is distributed to there. It's very stable. As that fuel load comes in, it becomes more unstable. And that's pretty much how Carson started the company. He was 43 years of age, went to play golf, picked up a golf club, come home and thought, these things don't make sense from an engineering principle. I can do better than that. And that's how he started. So he went back with his first putter. He got two paddle pop sticks and three sugar cubes sitting on the table. And he knew if he could move the weight to the right and to the left and have somewhere to put a shaft in, right, which is the 1A putter, that would be a more stable result. So and that's, that's the foundation of the company, if you like. So we're always working on, you know, inertia and getting the very high values. Um, and that incorporates into all our golf clubs. We're trying to get, you know, appropriate head size but get as much, you know, inertia um, or forgiveness built into the golf club as we can. And that's been a you know, founding principle. So the G40 Drive is extremely stable, especially with the Max. So very high heel-toe inertia. You'll, you'll hear about MOI. They're measuring two ways. One is on a vertical axis, which is heel-toe, and one is on a horizontal axis, which is top-bottom. So that's the rotation this way, and that is the rotation that way. So we want consistent spin. So when you hit the ball vertically, up and down on the face, we don't want to have that massive lower launch and that massive higher spin. When you hit the ball high in the face, we don't want to have a massively high launch and lower spin. We want to keep that standard deviation launch and spin more consistent. So that's on a vertical plane. On a horizontal plane, we want to make sure that as you hit it on the heel and toe, it's not twisting. So that higher inertia, saving weight wherever we can, using that finite element analysis, saving weight, redistributing to the perimeter level of the golf club, moving it back as far as we can. And as we mentioned earlier, so we can make a sub-zero driver and bring it down and forward, the centre of gravity, I mean, that makes the golf club lower spin, but it also reduces some of the stability in the face. So we want to pull the weight back as far as we can. So even though uh, we pull that weight back, we then reduce some of that spin through the friction on the face. So they're always working on those types of things. Also, if you look at the back weight, it's the you know probably the heaviest back weight you see in the golf industry. And in the max it'll be sort of 23 to 27 grams, depending on the head and shaft combination. But it's um that moving that weight to the extreme perimeter of the golf club just makes the golf club extremely stable. So if you take a kite, you fly it around, it's got a very short tail, it moves around quite easily. You put that long tail on the end of that kite, it's extremely stable. So that's a pretty much a simple engineering principle. Right, but it works at the end of the day. and just creates very consistent, stable results. And if we can get two more fairways around, and instead of losing you know, 15 yards on a miss hit, we only lose five, that's advantageous for the player at the end of the day. It's going to lower their scores. They're going to hit more fairways, and they're going to enjoy the golf more. Uh
0: exactly correct, mate. Um, it, once again, at Bamburgh, it had been a while since I'd used a driver, but at Bamburgh, you know, just it just. Pop these little bullets down the fairway every time. Um, anyway, it's it's. I was sounding like a ping advert on, and my and I, I've got to be neutral, but you know, I took uh, as part of the I five two five testing for the for the videos. You know, um, uh, the guys set me up with a full bag of, of everything, and, and it had been a while since I'd used the ping uh, driver. I'd, I think in my bag in my time I'd had G, well, I had G4 10, G400, uh, G four ten, G four hundred, G G thirty, G twenty five, and G twenty. So, you know, I've owned, you know, personally owned all of those drivers. Um, so it was my first time, of course, with the 425 and it was just middle of the fairway, middle of the fairway, mi- stone cold in the morning, middle of the fairway. It was, it was fantastic. Um, used the i525, so great. I shot four over around the Bamboogal Dunes. I was taking photos, uh, flying a drone and trying to play golf. Um, first up, 7, 7.28 in the morning. Um oh. It was it was good for me. Uh, That's pretty good for me. Uh, Four over, and uh, pretty much we had seventy-one holes over two days. Uh, Once I shot my four over in the morning, I'd stamp my authority amongst my playing partners and the group, and I said, "That's it. I'm done. I'll just be uh, having fun for the rest of the trip here now." And uh, took some nice photos, and uh, but it was great. I had had a lot of fun with the product. Uh, Colin, I've taken up a whole host of your time. You know, I talked about uh, showing you some of my uh, history. You know, this this ping zing here uh with the the magnesium head I've got a ping zing uh is it the zing too that with the um what's the silver uh, metal way the uh seventy four stainless yeah seventy four stainless okay. so I've got one of those in there which my mum putted with. Uh, mm-hmm. so that's that's the zing that I've got. What else have I got here? Oh there it is, there that's it there I did, I did bring it out. That's yeah that so I talked about uh You know, collecting putters that meant something to me. So my my late mum puttered with this putter through her golfing uh, journey. So I've got one of those. Uh, What else have I got here? Uh, This is a special one. I can't remember where I found that. That's the what's that one? That's the uh, Ping Pal. That was one of the that was one of the early uh, heel toe designs. Did that? that, Uh, Did the Pal come before the answer or after the answer?
1: uh, Answer was primarily first, and then you look at the Pal. It's a permutation of the the, there. There's a great room at Ping, and it's the um, archive room. You know, if, uh, if you ever get a chance to go there, make sure you, you throw that on the list. But that archive room has basically one of everything. And there's stuff in there I've never seen before. I, I You know, for the door's open. Um, I always try and pop in there and see uh, some stuff. But, you know, it's amazing. Um, there's uh, just one of everything and just wander around. It's just basically like a history lesson of the golf industry.
0: I had a 12-year career with a wonderful car brand, Mercedes-Benz, and I was privileged enough to see – basically all the ins and outs of everything that makes a Mercedes-Benz a Mercedes-Benz. And on one particular trip, uh, not only did we go to the museum, but uh, they have a, a classic centre uh, and basically we walked out the back lane way to the classic centre and then there's these big nondescript barns at the back, just German barn type things with doors, just like barn doors. The guy unlocks them and says, okay, we'll go through a look through here. And it's a little bit like that, you know, history. It's just there's unbelievable amount of cars in there that don't even make it into the museum and – sort of sounds like your experience in the the archive room, yeah. uh, and it's amazing. And I quite often you know, suggest that Ping, to me, seems a little bit like that Mercedes-Benz, a you know, very engineering-oriented company, nothing nothing good unless it's great. Uh, the product is primary, and its performance is the focus of development and the marketing part of it, piece of it's second. Um, so I'd love to – it's one of my, my missions and goals to go and see – uh, that room and, and see the gold part of room and the vault and just see everything that is on the campus as you refer to it uh, here's another one that's pretty special to me that's the uh, what's that one that's the O-Blade hmm. a, a... Oh, there's, a,
1: there's a lot you go through there you know it's um, you know, long neck short necks and all sorts of things but um, there's a lot every time I go in there I see something else I've never seen before Palm
0: Springs 1987 I picked up my first answer I thought I was in heaven when I picked that up and I, I played with that for the rest of the tour in um in uh 87 in palm springs and you know i've got three of these now and uh they're really really special to me it
1: hasn't changed very much has it <laughs>
0: hasn't changed well it's yeah you know, that's what i was saying you know look at that that's the uh the answer you know people uh if you if you're only new to golf and you and you got this far and you're looking at and you see all these putters that, that you've picked up well and they look like that well that's where it started that one right there uh there's a couple of special ones of these you know they, they, they become quite collectible haven't they
1: yeah, there's a website called Pongman. Um, so he's a sort of uh, somebody who's just really interested and in it. it's actually, you know, he records all the putters and bits and pieces and what their value is. And there's certain things. There's um, one where Carson designed <coughs> basically a solid block and I think there's four um, holes in it and then there's a heavier weight that goes inside it. There's a wire that comes off the back. What Carson would do would he put a, um, a marker in the back and then you put the two coins, uh, two heavier weights on the inside and get people to putt over paper, and as you hit putts across the face, that would squiggle and draw a line on the back. So then he'd take the weights and he'd place them on the outside, right? Perimeter weighting and in hot raising inertia, and then do the same thing. And so, those particular putters, I think there's five or six in existence. I think Ping has two, they now of two more. There's a couple of them out there, but they're worth a fortune yeah. if you can find one of those. But uh, yeah, Pong Man's a pretty cool little site, and he sort of keeps track of what's valuable and what's special and what's very unique and so forth. So quite an interesting website.
0: I'll check that out for sure. Colin, you know, you've got to race off to do, uh, get on with your day of working for Ping and representing them fantastically as you do. But, you know, as we could probably tell, we could talk about a lot of stuff to do with the brand for a long time. We've been talking for an hour now. Um, let you go. I appreciate your time. I thank you for your time and hopefully uh, this can get into the ears of some people out there that might, if they wanted to learn a little bit more about Ping and they want to get a condensed version, uh, maybe this has helped them and I hope so. If you do have any questions, uh, please feel free to let me know and uh, if you have a question for Colin, I can facilitate trying to get an answer from Colin for you about Ping Uh, but uh, no problems at all. Colt, it's been great. Thank you.
1: Appreciate your time. It's a pleasure talking with you.
0: Okay. Thank you very much. Um, This will be on YouTube. It'll be on uh, the podcast. So you can listen to that anywhere you get that. But thanks, Colin. And I'll uh, see you next time.
1: Thank you.